As I said earlier, this year, during the season of Lent, we are uh, using water as a focus for our celebration services. And we're doing this at the suggestion of the World Council of Churches, which has been inviting congregations to consider water during Lent for about 15 years now. And so last week, you may remember, we, we, we talked about the water of tears. That was our focus last week. And next week, we're going to talk about the waters of creation. And by the way, this is a little commercial, but next week is going to be wonderful because different members of our congregation are going to be reading things they've written, uh, uh, writings and poems, and it's going to, that's going to take the place of the sermon. And I've, I've heard this, I've heard the, the, the people who are reading, I've heard them rehearse, and it's wonderful. Uh, these are uh, essays and poems about uh, climate change uh, and about our response to it. And, and we, have, we are blessed in this congregation with amazing writers. Some of them are going to be reading next week, so don't miss it. Uh, and I've lost my place here because I gave you that commercial. Anyway, today we're, 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 we're talking about the waters of the flood. Uh, the waters of the flood as it's remembered in the story of Noah and his ark. And really the waters of the flood as metaphor. Because certainly we live lives in which from time to time waters rise up and we feel overwhelmed. Like we're not going to survive unless God does something miraculous and maybe a little bit drastic. Now, when I first imagined preaching this sermon today, my plan was going to have us look at this passage from a really modern point of view. After all, I am a modern person, you are modern people, and we're Presbyterians. This is a tradition that emerged with the advent of modernity. For 500 years now, for 500 years now our spirituality has been rooted in rationality, and we're logical, scientifically informed people. And from that logical, modern point of view, I read this, the, the, the story in preparation for today, that story of the flood, and to be honest, when I read it, I'm kind of horrified as a modern person, right? I want to ask, what kind of God would pull a stunt like this? In this story, God is acting like a petulant child. He gets up, gets upset with some people, and then he pitches a violent, deadly, horrible fit. Mostly as modern people, we avoid the difficult questions posed in this story by ignoring them. If we read this story at all, we read the illustrated version for our children, right? And I'm not entirely sure that's appropriate. There's a big part of me that thinks it's kind of weird that the story of the flood has become a children's story. What are we teaching our children about God? That we worship a being who intentionally, who, who intentionally perpetrates a worldwide natural disaster that kills everything? Is that, are we telling our children that's the God we worship? Because if we are, that feels a little bit like the spiritual version of child abuse. It would be one thing, of course, to eliminate humanity and start over. But why did all of the animals have to die? What did the animals do to offend the Lord? You would think that the same God who invented viruses could come up with a way of dealing with humans that didn't involve the mass slaughter of animals, right? But no, God kills everything save for a few living creatures on the ark. And who worships a God like that? Well, it turns out that a lot of people do. And so if if I want to preach a sermon that 
So I didn't, <clears throat> sorry, there's a lot of people do worship a God like that. And so if I didn't want to preach a sermon that asks about why bad things happen to good animals, I could also have preached a sermon about toxic beliefs about God and why we need to get over them. Both of these would have been good sermons and very important sermons. We need to ask why evil exists in the world and we need to ask how our understanding of God might evolve more faithfully. But on Thursday, Talitha and I were talking about our sermons for Lent and how we would organize our worship services around our sermons for Lent. And in that conversation, it occurred to me that despite my modern critique of the flood story, the first people to tell this story and the first people to hear this story, the first people to pass it on, and in fact, the first several hundreds of generations to pass this story along, they were not modern people. They didn't hear this story as I do. In fact, as hard as it is for me as a modern person to understand this, this flood story was originally meant a comforting story. And even today, a whole lot of people read this story as a story of comfort. And it's not just people who read the book of Genesis as sacred text. Ancient people from all over the world have flood stories in their mythologies. It's one of the common kinds of myth stories from all over. And all these stories, or, or many of these flood stories from all these different cultures, they're meant to be comforting. So that, that made me want to ask, how can we set aside our modern ways of thinking and be comforted by this story? And is it even possible to be comforted by this story? Well, I think in order to be comforted by the story of the flood, we have to try to think like ancient people. And that's, kind of, that's hard because nobody really knows how ancient people thought. But it seems that for the ancient people who first told this story, the survival of the group was at least as important, if not more important, than the survival of individuals. Which means that the response to the flood story was not what about the animals or what about the kids who were too young to have offended God or what kind of God does this. For ancient people, the first response was thank God we survived. Even if some of us didn't survive, we survived. Thank God. For the flood itself and why God would send it, there might not have been a lot of distinction between God and the natural world. I don't know for sure, but it might be that asking an ancient person why God would send a flood is like asking a modern atheist why nature sends pathogens. The modern atheist might have ideas or theories that might or might not be rooted in logic, common sense, or good science, but the modern atheist would not pass moral judgment on nature. And I think the same could be said for an ancient understanding of God. I rather suspect that the ancient person would look at the world and remember experiences and stories and say something like, yeah, floods happen. No one can deny that floods happen. And if floods happen, then they must come from God and God must have a reason for it or not. Maybe that's just how the world is. But anyway, thank goodness we survived. 
I'm still imagining the mind of an ancient person here, but I suspect that the ancient person might read the story of Noah's survival in the ark and hear the story of the rainbow and then say the next time there's some natural disaster, it probably won't be a flood, it'll be something else, and I may not survive. But we will survive. I think that probably is the original point of the flood myth. And if comfort is the point, then we probably need to read the story in an ancient way, at least some of the time. As far as I can tell, we're living through a time when comfort is important. Maybe now is the time to read the flood story in a way that comforts us. There is a virus spreading around the globe and people dying, and those who aren't dying are worried. The markets are tanking. Here in California, we're getting ready for another drought, and probably more fires the climate and climate change is accelerating and if i'm reading the political tea leaves correctly then it looks like universal health care is off the table for americans at least for the time being and so is the alleviation of student debt and wars are not going to cease in the near future it's enough to make me want to hyperventilate and one way to respond is to ask why god would allow all of this to happen and that's a good thing to do if you want to shake your fist at god which to be honest, is something we all need to do from time to time. I recommend it. Shake your fist at God. It's good for your soul. But if what you want is comfort, then I recommend trying an ancient mindset on for size. The ancient mindset would probably look at all of what we're worried about and say, well, of course, of course there's pestilence and economic uncertainty and droughts and wildfires. Plus, there's wars all over the place and whatnot. Only a modern person living in the comfort of some, some of the nicer neighborhoods in the developed world would think otherwise. Of course, bad things are happening all over the place. But we will survive. Because where there is a flood, God provides an ark. And even if I don't survive, we survive. What I cannot do as a modern person is imagine that God will send another actual flood and an actual boat. No amount of connection to my deep, ancient, inner self can do that. What I can do, however, is to imagine a new kind of boat, a new conveyance on the metaphorical floods of disaster. And in order to talk about that, let's address the COVID-19 virus outbreak. Now, you don't have to be a scientist to know that people are worried. You might have to be a scientist to know how and in what ways worry is merited, but we're living through difficult times right now. We all know that. It's a bit of a flood. And the ark that saves us, I think, is the community of love that connects us one to another so that if one of us does get sick with the coronavirus, the rest of us can offer support. We can cook meals and run errands for each other. We can use modern technology to stay in touch with those who are sick and in quarantine so that no one will feel isolated. No one needs to feel alone. When it comes to the, to the COVID-19 virus, I, I tend to be of the, you know, just, just wash your hands and don't panic school. That's kind of the way I approach it. But I know that not everyone thinks like I do. And if you're like me, the best thing to do right now is not to try to convince those who are taking more drastic approach that they're wrong. I mean, I'd like to think 
that the correct and best scientifically grounded approach to the coronavirus could be articulated in such a way that everybody would be converted immediately to that way of thinking, and then those personal practices that preserve public health would be implemented without much fuss. But we don't live in that world right now. In today's world, everyone is some kind of expert. Right? All you have to do is read your, your, your uncle's meme and you think you have the answer. I do trust that over time, the wise arbitration of scientific truth will emerge. But that's long-term thinking. In the short term, we're all responding in different ways. And the best thing we can do is to try to comfort one another. You can bring comfort to those who are well but worried by observing common sense, scientifically grounded etiquette around hygiene. You know, we can wash our hands more often. We can sneeze into our elbows or better yet into a tissue that we throw away. And we can try not to touch our faces, though I have to tell you, every time someone tells me not to touch my face, my eyes itch controllably. <laughs> and I said that my eyes itch uncontrollably. And, and uh, I'd like to blame that on the pollen. But I think it's just in my head. I don't, don't tell me not to touch my face or I'll itch my eyes. We can create a little more personal space if that's needed. And, and if people are not able to leave their homes because they're sick or they're not able to leave their homes because they think they might get sick or they're just too worried about community transmission, we can send an email, we can send a text, we can make a phone call, we can check in on people and see how they're doing. It's all part of making our community an arc of safety and of comfort in these troubled times. Now, getting back to the, the flood story itself, eventually, eventually I think we do need to address this story from a modernist point of view. Eventually, we need to ask why God allows actual floods to destroy actual towns and farms and families. We need to talk about how our understanding of God has evolved and must continue evolving. That's a super important conversation to have and stay tuned. We'll have sermons like that in the future. But right now, as the waters of metaphorical floods overwhelm us, we need to look for an ark of safety. And we need to confirm unto ourselves the sure promise that we will survive, maybe not as individuals, but, but we as a people will survive one way or another. That ancient comfort is needed right now. So let's embody it together. Let's be together as an ark, as a vessel of safety for one another. I don't know entirely what that would look like, but I know we can do this together. We can reach out to one another. We can strengthen the bonds of love. We can strengthen the bonds of community that make us strong, that bring us through the floods. We can help each other. We can comfort each other. We can be the ark for one another as God brings us through this flood. Amen.